It's only an hour. Jeff Howe, Jordan Scruggs, every weekday from 11 to noon right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Now it's time for the award-winning midday show. And let's get right to it because I see him in the waiting room. One of our award-winning guests is with us. One of our favorites, a guy that you and I talked to a thousand times the first time we did a show together. A guy who I did a podcast with for a number of years. A guy who has remained a great friend of ours for a long time. And a guy who continues to be one of the very best on the Texas Beats that is our man Joe Cook of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com. What's up, brother? What's going on, man? This is fun. This reminds me of the uh, the good old days, I guess, back when uh, I was on the phone with y'all and I'd see that plaque in that little studio of that award. And uh, I don't know if y'all have repeated since then, but uh, hey, that, that, that one still stands pretty strong. And this is fun. Glad to be on here. I was listening to uh, uh, Jeff talk about Boone's Farm and I wanted to, I had a, I have one good Boone's Farm story, and it's from this year. Um, so for the Alabama game, you know, we got a bunch of friends who either fly to Atlanta or they fly to Birmingham. But me and Will Gallagher, uh, the inside Texas photographer, I don't know if y'all met him, uh, but we're road warriors. We, we've driven to Manhattan before uh, and back. So uh, we decide to get on I-20, go with two of my best friends from college, Stay at Margaritaville and Shreveport, so do that. Uh, split the drive in half. You know, we go to the game, 6.30. Uh, it's 6.30 kick. I could probably get out of Bryant-Denny Stadium around, I don't know, maybe about right about midnight, somewhere around there. And we're at an Airbnb not too far from – it's basically one left turn off of university, uh, about like two miles. So we get back. There's a gas station at the corner, and people are still amped. People are still partying. I'm like, you know, I hadn't done anything all day. I had to work. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to the gas station and get something. And so I'm kind of perusing and, and seeing what I want to grab. And I'm like, ah, something something catch, catches my eye. And it's, I forget the name of it, but that blue Boone's Farm. And we mm -hmm. go and grab that. I bring it back. And just, you know, you think about like celebrating with champagne in the locker room. We didn't spray it, but we just, everybody kind of passed around a little bit of Boone's Farm uh after the the Alabama game so and we uh we we polished that off later that day technically with Waffle House in Pearl Mississippi so we did the full <laughs> the full gamut of of just everything and then everybody who had placed bets on Texas at Margaritaville we had to stop there again and cash them on the way back so we had a lot of fun and that's that's my Boone's Farm story at least the one I can uh I feel comfortable sharing that that's incredible. You were a uh, an arrested Walmart away from the full on Alabama experience, Joe. Well, I mean that. So I was, I didn't know what to expect from from Tuscaloosa. And the other good story I heard is think about what you know. They don't lose there. The last loss they had was to Joe Burrow in 2019, and the last non conference loss was the Louisiana Monroe one in, in 07. And so, you know, night kicks are a big deal. And if, if you ever are there, the, I don't know, I guess it's the north end of the stadium. You have that walk of champions. And then you have basically their Greek row. And their little stretch of bars and stuff like that. And to the right from, like, facing out of the north end is the, their quad. That's where a tailgate was. Uh, saw a lot of Texas One fun people there. Just a lot of people there. Um, but after the game... After Texas won, the bars closed down early, and all their fraternity houses on the Greek Road canceled their parties. So 
Wow. Yeah, they did not take to uh, to losing to Texas too kindly. How about that? Man, the biggest regular season win in Texas football history, and you celebrated with some Boone's Farm. That is, uh, that is special right there. I was here in Austin. I blacked out, and I took my first and only Zinn. That was uh, how I celebrated the uh, the Texas win over Alabama. Not quite as good as your night, I don't think. That I mean, I'm about to say this to the person with the indestructible stomach, but how did that make your stomach feel? I wasn't seeing straight. I I wasn't feeling much that night. I was just I was so happy that I just drank myself to oblivion. It was it was glorious. It was glorious. All right, Joe, by the way, I do see uh, the Inside Texas. Maybe this is you commenting from the Inside Texas football YouTube channel, but y'all make sure to go subscribe to the Inside Texas football YouTube channel. Of course, you know about InsideTexas.com and the great work that they do covering recruiting and the actual games themselves for football, basketball, baseball, you name it, uh, all things University of Texas. But they've got a new YouTube channel, Inside Texas Football. We'll always promote them. Y'all make sure to subscribe over there. It's Joe. It's Eric Nolene. It's Justin Wells, who's going to be a, a stalwart on the midday show again moving forward, which we're excited about. It's Scipio Tex. It's Ian Boyd. It's the, it's the whole game. So uh, y'all make sure to check them out. Inside Texas Football is the YouTube channel. Go subscribe over there. And if you're not a member of InsideTexas.com, definitely become a member over there. All right, Joe, well, we'll dive into the Texas stuff. Plenty we can get into. But I guess the breaking news that dropped over the last hour, hour and a half is Texas has itself a new D-line coach. Obviously, Bo Davis leaving sent shockwaves through the program, and and that was a big loss for Texas. We all know how good of a coach Bo Davis has been here in Austin, and uh, it was disappointing to watch him go to LSU. Well, the Longhorns have replaced him. Kenny Baker spent the last year as the assistant D-line coach with the Miami Dolphins, has 11 or so years of college football coaching experience under his belt before his time in the NFL uh, what can you tell us about Kenny Baker and just kind of your overall thoughts on Texas's new D-line coach? Yeah, I think everybody was spurring into action uh, when they saw Matt Zenitz's tweet about um, Baker going to Texas. I mean, there's not a lot to know, I, I guess, about a assistant D-line coach, but I guess some high-level things you can you can look at is, one, he worked for the Fangio, under the Fangio system. Um, how much say he had in things as an assistant to a position coach? You know, it's it's relative. Who knows uh, how much input he has, but he's in that system. That helps. And then the stat that I looked up that I think I posted on uh, Twitter, um, the Miami was fourth in rushing yards allowed per attempt, third in sacks, second in quarterback knockdowns, and was near the bottom of the league in blitz rate. So that defensive line, and I know Christian Wilkins was one. I'm not sure. I, I didn't watch a ton of Dolphins, and I don't know their defensive line, but uh, there's definitely a, they, they did really well. Um, and that's why Fangio has always been so sought after. So you're getting somebody from the Fangio system. You're probably getting a guy who has coached a lot in Georgia and in the Southeast and South Carolina. And obviously Western Kentucky was where Mike Daniel plucked him from. Um, there's a lot of positive traits. That's for sure. You, you, there are guys, there's, there's development on, um, on the dolphins. There's good proof of concept. So those traits are good. The bona fides are the question. You know, he's about to go into the SEC where you're recruiting against the best of the best. And, and you know, you're also going to be recruiting against guys like Bo Davis. And, um, I'm you know, I'm forgetting guys like Georgia's defensive line coach and things like that. But those guys have traits and they have bona fides too. And so Texas is going to be relying on 
him to be in that in that position going toe to toe with those guys. Of course, he's going to have some influence from Johnny Nansen. He's got defensive tackle experience. Uh, even PK has some defensive tackle experience back at Boise and just kind of coaching fronts in general. So who knows what the exact – I think a question that's still yet to be resolved is who is going to be um, – you know, how, how what are the different distinctions going to be? Um, I know Nansen's linebacker's coach, but with all these different, you know, moving parts, who knows if they keep the same. But there are good traits there, but there, there's reasonable questions about his recruiting bona fides heading into the SEC. Uh, but at this point, I think there's a lot of people in the fan base who have kind of looked and seen like with Coach Sark's hires, whether it be Chris Jackson, whether it be Tashard Choice, Brandon Marion, um, all those guys that you, you can give him a good amount of leeway and good amount of benefit of the doubt. But, hey, there's still some unknowns about him that I don't think Texas fans are going to see till or have a good answer to till way later in this cycle. Yeah, and the statistical analysis looks pretty good for him. At Western Kentucky his last year, similarly positive statistics with regards to sacks, pressures on the quarterback, and also limiting yards per rush. So it does come down to that personality. And Justin and I talked about this the other day, Joe, for the radio show. Coaching at the college ranks has become exceptionally different, uh, uh, difficult over the last few years because of – you need to stay on top of guys 24-7, 365, not just high school recruits, but also your own guys as well. So I feel better about the fact that he is on the younger side too. I don't know the exact age. It looks like he's in that late 30s range because you have to have that sort of energy just to stick with the times, especially for a guy going from the NFL back to college. And obviously he does have that college experience too. That could be a culture shock for a lot of dudes. So it Seems like he at least understands what he's getting himself into, and I wouldn't be surprised as you guys uh, continue to to uh, to hit your sources, which y'all have the best sources in the business. You find out that he was just an A plus interview for Coach Sarkeesian, which puts him at ease with regards to what he's capable of on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and and Steve Sarkeesian, he's I, I'm, we're still trying to figure out where this networking came from. You know, I, it's not like I know that Shannon or that Sark and Shanahan have some overlap. I think at that point, that means Sark and McDaniel have some overlap, but there's really nobody on the Dolphins looking at that staff that you can think, oh, yeah, that's where they got the word and that's where it came from. And then I just go like, well, maybe Tua told them or something like that, or, or maybe uh, Deshaun Elliott or Brandon Jones or Connor Williams told them. Like, it, it, this is kind of a, a random one. We had, we had kind of figured on Inside Texas it was going to be an NFL hire because if you wanted a college coach, Whoever he wanted from college ranks probably was available to be grabbed, signed, all that different stuff negotiated with. But if you wanted to go NFL, you basically have to wait until not, you know, cut and dry. You have to wait on this deadline, but you got to wait till the playoffs are done. And obviously Chiefs knocked the Dolphins out. Um, uh, there was some obviously some speculation and thought that Rod Wright, former Texas defensive lineman, would be up for that coaching spot after working for the Texans, but I think, uh, as y'all saw, the Texans have gotten rid of their – or we're not, they are not bringing back their norm, their regular defensive line coach. Um, that's going to give Rod Wright an opportunity to probably step up and continue to help guys like Will Anderson and the rest of that defensive line. So, um, And then BK or Trey, like you said, youth helps. Like this is not a young man's game anymore, uh, especially coaching. You Used to you had – like two weeks of vacation in, in July and two weeks of vacation after signing day. 
Uh, now there is, there's basically, you're lucky if you get a week in July before camp and stuff like that. Like it is just a grind. Um, it's probably why morale among a lot of college coaches is not great. That's why you hear them groveling all the time about the, the workload. Um, and, and Steve Sarkeesian is no different. He, he's talked about that, but it's the one that he, it's a world that he lives in right now and, and getting guys best suitable, best, most capable of living in that world. Someone who's 37, someone who's getting his first opportunity at, you know, a, a position all by himself at one of the top, you know, you think about it, top 30, top 50 jobs in the sport. If you kind of combine college and NFL together. It's a it's an opportunity for him, and he's got a lot to be able to prove. But there's obviously some traits that Steve Sarkeesian saw that apply to helping the Texas defensive line. Yeah, Joe, that's obviously big news that impacts the future of the Texas Longhorns. Some other big news that has dropped over the last 24 hours or so that will impact Texas is Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. Of course, Texas plays in Ann Arbor week two this fall. And we already knew Michigan was losing a bunch of players, but now they're losing their head coach on top of that. No, Texas opened up as an early slight favorite for that game when uh, some Vegas odds came out last week. I mean, I, I'm usually as pessimistic as they come. You know that. But, God, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this game. With everything Texas has coming back, the head coach, the quarterback, and the majority of the starters, that game at Michigan in early September feels like one that Texas fans can expect to win. Yeah, there. This is a Texas team coming back, thinking it's going to be a number one, number two team in the country, depending on how you know if there's any bold voters who want to uh, move the the Georgia Bulldogs off that top spot. Um, Michigan, you know, you think about all these national title teams that they they win, they win, and they lose players in the NFL just because that's what good teams have. They have NFL players. Um, Michigan's a little bit different in that when you think of the Georgias, you even think of some of the Clemsons and the Alabamas. They would have you know three straight years of top five, top three classes stacked right behind them. Even Ohio State has that. That's not been the case for Michigan. They go about it a different way. It's been getting closer and closer each year until it finally went over the top this year. Of course, you got to consider the Connor Stallions aspect of it, but um, at the same time, you know they're you got to make the tackles. It helps to know, but you got to make them. You got to make the passes. You got to make the runs. Um, and and Michigan had all the pieces to just bully teams and not only offensively and defensively, you lose that. Um, but now, but, but now with, when you look at Alabama, you look at Washington, you look at Arizona, um, you look at Texas A&M uh, back last year, all these coaches leaving opens that window up and it can just decimate a roster. There's really no better word for it. They, they can decimate a roster. You can lose your top players, you can lose so many of those contributors and potential contributors from these top five classes you have just because that portal goes and it's a one way out deal. You know, Michigan, that that portal opening uh, just, you know, went into effect probably yesterday. Now, uh, Harbaugh signed, but it's just an outward flow if it were to happen. But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen as much because Sharon Moore is going to be. I mean, everybody pretty much considers Sharon Moore to be the favorite to be promoted um i think i saw that there's a state law that says michigan you have to post it in, for seven days uh they can get around it somehow but that that's a little bit of a scary prospect uh for michigan but sharon moore is a guy but for as good of a play caller sharon moore is for what that roster situation probably is going to stick stick with because they're not going to lose a bunch of players uh to, because that they want to be with that coach 
you're still losing a great head coach. Like Jim Harbaugh is a one of the reasons he's going to the NFL is because he is a great just planner. He's great at getting things done Monday through Friday that help him on Saturday. And he's also just one of the best game day coaches out there. I think that's an underrated aspect of someone who's not a play caller. He's a phenomenal game day coach. Uh, and now Strone Moore is, is going to be the one probably calling plays, probably having to figure that out all, all by himself. And he's got some experience from this year. And then, by the way, he's probably going to lose Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator, because that's someone I bet Harbaugh is going to want to bring. So, like, the roster losses for Michigan may not be as as dire uh, as you, you see for uh, DeBoer at Alabama and then Fish at Washington and then Brennan at Arizona. But the, the brain losses, I guess to say, um, you don't just replace Jim Harbaugh and be like, yep, we're good. We're, we're going to be all, all hunky-dory. Sharon Moore is a great coach and he's been one of the better play callers and he obviously has a faith in that locker room, but you're, you're losing Jim Harbaugh, you're losing Je- Jesse Minter and you're losing some of the best players from a national championship team. So uh, long story short, Hey, it makes sense. Texas with all the stuff it has coming back should be uh, one of the teams favored up there in Ann Arbor. Even though it seems like the Michigan roster is going to remain fairly together, at least the guys who aren't going pro right now, do you foresee Texas trying to target anybody, any individual, if they do hit the portal, considering just how good Sark and company have been in that regard this offseason? Probably if it's at a position of need. And I know that they had those uh, defensive linemen, one of the best D lines. Uh, one of them, I think, is from Anaheim. So I mean, you you can say, like, yeah, of course they should. But uh, it's, it's at positions of need, and it's at D line. And, uh, uh, you know, they have to enter first. That's the thing. Uh, you know, wink, wink. But they have to enter first. Mm-hmm. In, in the in the current game. Um, and I think that's why you're going to see more be promoted pretty quickly, just because they don't want to lose that. They've seen all this stuff happen. They also got had the advantage, whether intentional by Harbaugh or not, of waiting until this far into the semester. They do go to school, surprisingly, uh, but waiting this far in the semester to make this move and probably limit uh, what's possible. Because, I mean, if Texas wants to bring someone in, they got to get it done by the 30th. Like I think after the fifth class day or something like that, you need Dean's permission. But after the 30th, it's basically a point of no return as far as admissions goes. Uh, so that that's a hurdle. That's probably a, a little bit of why Michigan dragged this out as long as they did. Um, so some savvy moves by Harbaugh. So I don't even know if there's something to be done there. You know, you brought up an interesting point with all of that, too, as we all continue to learn what exactly the transfer portal means, the ins and outs of the rules. So there is a window for everybody, but there's an additional window for guys whose coach decides to leave. That's a great point, though, that a new coach coming in may find himself behind the eight ball because you've had a bunch of guys leave and you can't bring anybody in until the end of that next semester. Yeah, and and that's why I bet this upcoming cycle, DeBoer, is going to hit the portal really hard. Yeah. Um, may, heck, I wouldn't be surprised if something happens. If if there's any, uh, uh, not that I know that this is taking place, but if there's any uh, dissatisfaction in Oxford, oh hey, just move right down the road. Come on over to Alabama. Um, if if you know if you're a guy at Washington who tries to stick it out for uh, Jed Fish, if you're someone at Arizona who's if you're Tetaroa McMillan who tries to stick it out for Brent Brennan and you don't like it, if you're someone at Michigan. You know, all these different things. If you don't like Bill O'Brien, which seems pretty easy to do, 
Um, you know, you could uh, Alabama and even Washington has an opportunity and Oregon, you know, they're always going to be involved in these things. They'll have an opportunity in the spring. The limiting factor for them though, is those sec there. I think there's still an sec transfer rule on the book. So all these Alabama guys, guys, or even, you know, Texas A&M guys, Georgia guys who have, who entered, they can transfer to a different school now. So Isaiah Bond, Amari Nyblack, um, Kendrick Blackshire, they're going to be immediately eligible at Texas because they're in this uh, coaching portal window. But if they had entered in the spring, I think there's an SEC rule that says, no, you, you can't be immediately eligible. And, you know, you can trample all over the rules of the NCAA just because of the, the courts have. But these conferences, I think, can have their rules. And I don't think there's a loophole that says, oh, Texas isn't going to be a, a SEC team until July 1st. I, I think that everybody involved is is smart enough to realize that's not something that'll fly, not something they'll allow. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalen DeBoer and has phone calls out to representatives um, and, and maybe trying to get some of those Washington top uh, players who maybe stuck it out, but that roster is not going to be as strong either. It's a weird situation uh, all in all with this transfer portal and it's put a lot of pressure all over the calendar, but it's fun to, fun to cover. It keeps us entertained for sure. Yeah, never a dull moment for sure. All right, last football question from me, Joe, because I want to get your thoughts on basketball and maybe a little baseball too if you have the time. But uh, you talked about positions of need. You mentioned that in passing uh, a moment ago. You know, It feels like Texas has done most of what it needs to do this offseason. Like they've, they've filled out the coaching staff now. They've obviously done a great job in the transfer portal. They're still a week and change away until National Signing Day too, but we know that's going to be a small class uh, when we get to February 7th. But for you, what's what's still on the offseason checklist? Like what, what does Sark and this staff need to get done uh, by the time spring football gets rolling here in a few weeks? Ooh, well, defensive tackle. Um, I think you saw that with uh, Tia Savea. Not even going to try. Um, they're trying to uh, address that one. Heck, they, they and maybe they still. I, I think that whatever they add, if they're able to add somebody, is on defense. You don't need a quarterback. You don't need a running back. You don't need an offensive lineman. Um, you got your tight end. You got your receivers. You're good on on offense. You maybe you think about a specialist and maybe you think about it, get another punter, but like, it sounds like they're content with Will Stone on kickoffs, Burt Auburn on at field goal. And then the freshman punter, uh, Michael Kern. So you're good there. Probably defensive tackle. Um, you added a linebacker, you added a safety. Um, maybe they look at corner. Maybe they look at that Arizona corner. Uh, but if I'm, if I'm making the call, I'm, I'm thinking, add another defensive tackle. Like you're still trying to recuperate some of the recruiting, not losses, but actually yes, losses. Remembering a one man 2023 class and losing maybe one of your, arguably your best defensive tackle from this 2024 class. You need numbers there. And even Steve Sarkeesian himself has admitted, like we go to the portal to, you know, sprinkle on the roster, but we can also use it to make up for, I don't know if he used the word recruiting failures, but recruiting misses. And right now you're missing two defensive tackles that you you thought you were going to, uh, you know, one in reality in DeAndre Robinson and one in, uh, you know, the the mind and whoever was going to be along with Sadir Mitchell in that class. Like you need somebody. Uh, you've got to replace Joe Carter as well. And, you know, that's an important just body to have. So I would go defensive tackle if they try to attack the the transfer portal. 
All right, shifting focus now to the men's basketball team. While the Rodney Terry reaction to horns down after the Longhorns lost to UCF here in Austin a little bit more than a week ago, drew the wrong sort of national headlines for the program and university, it may have served as a sort of rallying cry within the locker room. Is that kind of how you see things, Joe? And what does this team need to continue doing in order to sustain the success over these last couple of games? It's funny. Everybody made fun of Rodney Terry, including Texas fans for that thing. Like, it's just don't don't bring attention to it. Like, don't do something that, you know, or think of what you want on Barstool. But they got a big following. A lot of people like that site. And then when you see the main account with millions of followers trashing Rodney Terry about that, like, don't you don't need to bring that attention to yourself after you lost to I know it's the Big 12. You lost to UCF. You lost to West Virginia and you're one and two in conference. And then they go out and beat Baylor. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with just I, – Brad, I think you, you'd agree with me. On a given night, they pre- basically always have two scorers. But if they get a third, they're in, they're in really good shape. Yeah. Um, and they, they're over-reliant on those two scorers, but those guys are so good in isolation that, hey, maybe it works. And that's what you saw with, with Baylor. Uh, you had uh, Dylan DeSue and – uh, Max Asmus get theirs, but then Tyrese Hunter shows up and he makes plays from opening tip to the final buzzer. And when they get those three, um, that's what is allowing them to to make some big impacts uh, against these good teams. And it was the same with Oklahoma. You know, I, I liked uh, that it was a good call by Porter Moser to try that token pressure and force Texas to operate in the half court for a lot. But then Asmus and DC were just nailing shots and it worked. They made a good comeback, but that that mark that that um, but they got the additions from Kendall Weaver and offensive additions. You know uh-huh. those game saving game game changing plays in Baylor, but then he's getting these secondary opportunities and driving to the rim. And you know he's not a guy who's going to hit very many shots or take very many, but he can do those athletic things. And so when Ace Miss is driving in an isolation, when Dsu's driving in isolation, and they can find that third scorer. That's what makes this team capable of going toe-to-toe. Um, Shedrick going down, uh, that's rough. I think Rodney Terry's talking right now. Um, probably get an update on that ahead of the BYU game. Um, but, you know, it, the, the thing that's helped them is that uh, Max Asmus and Dylan DeSue have been hitting their shots. They've been hitting them in isolation, which, you know, you can trash that, you can like that, but it's what they do really well. And over these last two games, they've gotten third scoring contributions that have pushed them over the top. Joe, everyone loves the ceiling question, so I'll uh, give you the stereotypical ceiling question. I mean, if Texas is able to do what you're talking about, right, if they get that consistent third score to step up and, you know, A. Smith and DeSue keep doing what they've been doing for most of the year, uh, what's the ceiling for this team? I mean, it, it feels like the floor is they missed the tournament. And a week ago, they were outside of the tournament. So we, we, we know what could be at stake for Texas, but – if this trend continues and if these guys uh, play the way that they have going forward, how far do you think this team is the uh, ability to go? The ceiling for this team is probably 11 and eight or 11 and seven in conference, which would be amazing. Like that, that did not look like what this team was going to be. Um, and and the, the thing is this team can score. And I think almost has scored like 75 points pretty regularly. And that's, that's a good benchmark for, for college basketball, but the problem is they can give up 80. Um, so that's, and, and I know that probably drives Rodney Terry crazy. Like it drives all of us crazy, but 
the ceiling for this team, if they can, you know, get a third scoring contributor every every night, you know, going along with Ace Miss, like Ace Miss just needs to score 15. And I know that sounds weird and that's a big ask, but if he can score 15 and D Sue can go like 12 and nine, uh, some of those offensive, most of those defensive, like, and they get that third contribution, like that's a team that can score on on pretty much anybody. Um, the rotation's getting a little smaller, um, and or it, it seems to you know fluctuate a little bit. Um, you saw Chris Johnson get an opportunity, and I, I'm guessing he had some good weeks of practice that led up to that. But and it stinks that his two possessions that everybody's going to remember were two pretty bad turnovers. But I mean, if they can get you know Ethel Horton to just throw up like nine, even if it's nine in the first half, that's still nine or something like that. You can find maybe eight from I don't know Caden Shedrick or your two or three or six from Brock Cunningham. Like I, I think the ceiling is definitely um, eleven and seven, um, and that just speaks mostly to the conference because they have another matchup with Baylor. They still have to go to the Fog, right? Uh, they still have to take on um, Houston on Monday, which I'm excited for that one, and go to Houston. Like, that's four right there out of your 18 that are going to be real tough. The floor, though, I mean, I guess the basement floor is 6-12, and 12, which is, is, you know, crazy, but just every team in this league is good. You can, pencil, you can arguably pencil in a win against Oklahoma State because they just don't seem to have it figured out. You'd hope you can get – I'm trying to think of the, – the non-double uh, round robin makes it all confusing now because I'm trying yeah. to memorize the schedule. Um, and But, like, still, the the, the basement 6 and 12. Yeah, and then at that have, point, you're what? You're – what are they now? 19 and 17? No, that can't be right. They're 14 and 5 right now in the year. So – 20 and 17? I don't know shit. I, now, I'm not doing the math right. You're asking the wrong guys for help. But on that. You know I that. think I think y'all can both probably attest to this. Eight and ten, you're you're sweating it out, but you're in. You're in. Like with the yeah. way this league is, you're in. Seven and eleven. I think if you win one and if you win one in Kansas City, like that's still a really good game for your net. Um, if you're seven and eleven, you'll probably be stuck in the middle of the pack. Like. It, it you can't it, being in the Big Twelve this year. I think is going to depress Texas's record. But if they're able to somehow get to eight and ten, like I would, I, I would not. It's not a success. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's an achievement towards getting to the tournament, which is what Texas should be in every year. Tomorrow is three weeks from the start of the college baseball season, Joe. Uh, for you as somebody who is obviously a big seam head and uh, has followed this program for a long time now, covered this program for a long time now, what is the biggest reason for optimism for this program this year, and what is the biggest reason for pessimism with regards biggest to how far they can go? Optimism, pitching. Pessimism, piss, pitching. Not in, well, maybe if they start pissing, pissing on the field too. Hold on. <laughs> I'd, li I'd like to see that, I think. I don't know if I've seen that from Texas baseball before. Yeah, why do you think they wear cups? Um, yeah. <laughs> with LeBaron Johnson and Tanner Witt, like, you can be pretty confident that your Friday and your Saturday are going to be taken uh, care of in, in, good, in good fashion. And that's been a staple under David Pierce. Like, I'm always kind of under the, the opinion that if you have to replace one of your weekend guys, that's healthy. Two at a really good program – it's also healthy, but you should have guys – you should hopefully have one returning 
and then two who are waiting in the wings. This time they got two coming back. They have LeBaron Johnson, who I think is going to uh, flourish this year, just more experience as a starter. Tanner Witt's a little bit of a question just because it's been a while. He wasn't you know, spot on last year, but uh, he's rested his arm for the most part. Um, I don't think he did a, either did a summer league and it struggled or he did got out of there and has been pretty restful here in the fall. He's going to be their Saturday guy. And I think Charlie Hurley, who was good towards the end of the last season, I think he'll be the Sunday guy. So that's where my pitching has some confidence. Uh, my pessimism is, is from that back end of the bullpen. And I know that bullpen pitching has kind of been a complaint under David Pierce for a, a good amount, but you know, you don't, you're not the Astros. You don't go by uh, Hader and then Adam to Presley and then Adam to Abreu. You, you can't buy stars typically at the back end of your bullpen. Most of the time in college, you're developing uh, your your bullpen pitchers. And, you know, for some reason or another, those bullpen pitchers all probably want to end up as starters in their career. But at this time, there's there's not room. They're not there in their development. They've got to come in and be able to show that they can get one inning get three guys, let, let alone going through the lineup twice or anything like that. There's still some unprovenness in that area. They were going to have a really good bullpen option, I believe, in Notre Dame transfer Will Mercer, um, but he's out for the season, unfortunately, and they're not going to have that option. So um, I think when he went down, it's like, okay, what do we? how do we turn? What do we look for? Um, I, I think you're, you may see some, some ace whitehead uh, as a lefty guy. Um, you may see, man, I'm trying it, sometimes, sometimes I just get so caught up in football, football, recruiting, basketball. It, it, it takes a memory jog to remember who's on, on that yeah. baseball roster. But I, I think the, the fact that no one's just coming to mind like that kind of indicates that it's going to be that back end of the bullpen. So those Tuesday games where David Pierce has been pretty prone to just cycle guys instead of having a Tuesday starter, I think that's going to be a, a big proving ground and make those Tuesday games worth watching. You look at the lineup, though. I guess my your my question is probably at catcher and just you know what way they want to go. When you go from Silas Ardwan to Garrett Gillimet, that's a that's two really good catchers. Like both got drafted, both are working their way through the minor leagues. You got Kimball Schuessler back after his hand injury. You got Ryland Galvan. Um, and they have different strengths. One's more defensive than offensive. One's more offensive than defensive. Uh, and, and so I think figuring that out is going to be a deal. But like first base, Duke transfer, Luke Storm. Second base, Jack O'Dowd, what he brings. Shortstop, um, Jalen Flores, who if you read D1 baseball, uh, he had a big fall um, and is looking – David Pierce, I bet, is going to have a lot of confidence in him. Peyton Powell's back at third. Porter, uh, Porter Brown's back in left. Right field may be a little something to have to figure out to replace Dylan Campbell, uh, but center field is going to be fun with Jared Thomas out there uh, moving from first to center, a position that I think he may have to prove he can play to the public, but the coaches believe in it. Right mm -hmm. field, I remember Will Gasparino, a uh, true freshman, uh, was probably a top 100 prospect. I think he got drafted, actually, um, and then they just couldn't come to terms. 6'6", six, six, big swing, really athletic. Uh, Big 12 freshman of the year or newcomer of the year, whatever they decide to call that these days. Hmm. So there's going to be some good ability in the lineup. There's got, there's obviously strength at the, the front of the rotation, um, figuring out catcher a little bit, just defensively and protecting the run game is going to be part of it. 
and then figuring out the back end of the bullpen. I'm, I'm wondering what their offense is going to be like. I don't know if it's going to be that, you know, over the over the fence power year like they had uh, with Ivan Melendez and, and even in the year before that, but they should be a pretty complete offense. You'll see the small ball, you'll see the running, uh, but I, I think they'll have the ability to just, you know, move guys around on offense this year. I love it. Good offense, good pitching, and some good pissing, apparently, uh, coming to the dish this year. Um, man, when uh, when are we playing Butler, Joe? That's that's the last question I have for you. For uh, a little pitching out here. Come on. Playing Butler? Pitching oh, play. golly. Has, I haven't been there. Do? So I haven't been there. Crap. I haven't been there since August. I have not been there since August. And that is embarrassing because I keep golf balls and my pitching 56 and putter in my uh in in my car. And my buddy uh Eddie is listening. He he was probably about to call me and complain about the Yankees and asking me why I'm not over there right now. But man, I haven't been over there in in way, way too long. And that place is – I'm proud of that place. It, it was, you know, rinky-dink little ragtag, come play golf if you want to. They've promoted it. They've done – Waterloo has pumped good money into it and managed it well and uh, made it into a fun place. And uh, also you can get a beer for $3 there. So Hard to it's, find. Uh, it's pretty pretty fun to check out. And supposedly you all need to ask – I'm sure he'll rattle it off like that. But Kevin Dunn's got a good story about um, – I can't remember if it was Lady Bird Johnson or maybe like a mob boss got shot there in the fifties. And you can basically still see not, maybe not the bullet holes, but like shrapnel uh, markings on the clubhouse door. I want to say it was, gosh, I've heard him talk about this before. I want to say it was like Lyndon's uh, sister's boyfriend or something. I mean, it's very, very soap operatic, but yeah, there there was something shady that happened there. I may ask Kevin about that from three to five just to get a refresher on that one. It, I, I think the Olamate people are also, aren't they making burgers or something? There's a really good restaurant in town that is serving burgers there now too. So the the guy who runs Olamate, and I can't, I'll have to get with our, so I'm buddies with uh, Matt, your buddy Matthew Odom as well, and I'll have yeah. to get with him and ask him about that. Uh, but uh, Olame, yeah, they have a burger truck, and I think it's the guy who who runs Olame. Um, they also uh, Little Ola's Bakery. They have really good cookies uh, to fuel up on before. Um, so I would, uh, it, I recommend it to anybody. And then uh, it's 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 a fun place to play, even if you're terrible at golf like me. You got to get it. See, I, I thought you were talking about like Butler Bulldogs. I'm like, what, where's where's the Brad oh, Stevens? Right. Like, what sport are we talking <laughs> about here? Like, that's why it didn't it didn't click for me for a second. And then um, I see a comment for Cooter. Is it still one dollar for the hole in one fund? I used to play this uh, this tournament where it was like ten dollars in the hole in one fund, um, but I can't remember. It, it maybe it's something like that there, but they have a bunch of they have leagues basically on multiple days for all levels. They have like putt offs um, on a nice putting green. And it's also just not a bad place to go when weather permitting, just go sit and watch TV. Like they usually have it on the golf channel. If not, they got it on ESPN. Like um, everybody's really nice there. And uh, I, man, I love going there. So yeah, we got to do that again sometime soon. 
Amen, brother. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. We'll uh, keep telling the people about the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel and, of course, about InsideTexas.com. Hopefully everyone knows, but if they don't, y'all make sure to uh, subscribe to both of those places to get more of Joe's work. And they've got a ton of great folks over there doing phenomenal work covering Texas year-round. But this was fun, brother. Hopefully uh, we get the chance to do this again soon. Yeah, we definitely do. Thank you, guys. I had a ton of fun, and uh, we'll do it again, Back, rocking the uh, the midday show once again. Come on, baby. If only we could play Jimi Hendrix. The copyright rules are a little tougher for us to play Hey Joe. We'll <laughs> We'll do an instrumental version or something to uh, to make it work. I'll learn how to play the guitar and just do it like right away. <laughs> Your own walk-up music played by yourself. That's incredible. All right, dude. All right. I appreciate you all. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There he goes. Joe Cook, InsideTexas.com. Yeah, Inside Texas Football. Once again, the YouTube channel. I'll flash it up on the screen real quick so you guys can – get the name if you need it but just uh search that and uh give them a subscribe as well and hopefully you're already subscribed to us but uh and the waters there's plenty of water's warm there's plenty of space for all of us in this water is that an expression i are you going back to the uh yearning on the field conversation is there a standing water on the field that people are yearning urinating into that's making it warm i I don't know what you just said i don't know the drainage is not great i I don't know there's you you could subscribe to us and them and support us and them oh yeah yeah those guys are awesome i i know that uh that a lot of times in business we're supposed to be enemies with one another like we love those guys those guys are our friends they've been our friends for a long time and even though we're in a similar space now i would argue that we're doing things uh, a little bit differently from one another so to be able to combine forces and promote one another and get to have engaging conversations i think is a huge bonus for the longhorn community Agreed. 100%. 100%. All right. Before we get to where we at in society today, now we got to give some love to some of our great sponsors, including a new sponsor that we have. You see a new logo under Trey's head on the uh, bottom right portion of your screen. That is BetUS. Trey's pointing at it for you right then and there. Uh, BetUS, man, the Super Bowl was coming up. If you are looking to make money on the big game, you've got to bet at BetUS. We talk about odds and lines and cousins all of the time here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Well, it's only fitting that we have ourselves a sports betting partner. BetUS is the best online sports book and casino out there. Game lines, props, over-unders, you name it, they've got it. And it's not just football. It's college basketball. It's the NBA. It's the NHL. It's MMA. It's golf. It's baseball when that comes back around. Every sport, all year round, Bet. US. And if you're watching on YouTube, there's a link in the video description below. Just click that and register. If you're listening on the app, just uh, click the explore our socials portion of the front page of the app and click the link there. That will take you right to the TSU page on BetUS. Make your uh, deposit and just start playing today. It is that simple. Uh, Check them out. BetUS. And how about a TV spot, if I can find it, from our friends at Cover BK. Hi, I'm Dan Covert with my wife, Hayden. Welcome to Cover BK. Our newest location in the gorgeous hill country includes Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram, and hundreds of pre-owned and certified vehicles for you to choose from. We have three service departments that are ready to take care of your car, truck, or SUV with 86 service bays to accommodate any repair and get you in and out quickly. Come visit us today to select the vehicle you've been dreaming about. Covert, born and raised in Austin.
There you go. Shout out to Cobra B Cave. Shout out to Altstab Beer. Shout out to Tom McKay and AV Consultations as well. 512-255-8678. If you want the home TV setup of your dreams, you got to call AV Consultations. They've hooked Trey up. They've hooked Kevin up. They've hooked Bucky up. Uh, Wags, the list goes on and on. They hooked me up too. Of course, you see the TVs behind me. Uh, that was all done by AV Consultations. They can do the same for you. 512-255-8678. Uh, Trey, I've done enough talking. How about a word for pest wranglers from you, my friend? Sure. Pest wranglers, pest wranglers, pest wranglers. They are the best in the business at getting rid of those pests around your home, around or in your place of business. They've been doing so since 2006. Our guy Cooter, who just chimed in on the dollar a hole for the hole in one fund or dollar for the hole in one fund. He started pest wranglers back in 2006 with a couple of things in mind. One, he wanted to provide exceptional service for you in terms of taking care of those pests. But two, as a guy who values relationships, he wanted to make sure that he's providing top-notch customer service as well. He treats his, his employees great. In return, they treat you, the customer, great. That's why they have a bunch of five-star ratings and reviews on Google, Yelp, and elsewhere. You can find out for yourself. Go to pestwranglers.com for more info. And to sign up for that free estimate. And as always, Pest Wranglers is a proud sponsor of. Where are we at in society today? Oh, how proud they're going to be about today's story, unfortunately. Previewed yesterday. We got to get to it today. It is gnarly. And it is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that has nothing to do with flying on an airline, but apparently that's going to be at least half, if not more, of our Where We At stories going forward, BK, because we do have another horrific tale from the skies. Mm. Headline. Excessively farting passenger forces American Airlines flight to turn around. I know you and Bucky talked about this morning. Y'all had the first question that I had. Just how bad can gas be that requires a flight to turn around midair and go back to the original airport? Bad. Smelled bad, and apparently it sounded bad, too. I think that was a big part of the issue here was that the flatulence was loud. Like, it's... I guess it's one thing if it's silent but deadly. I mean, that still sucks, but there's a way, like, you're never going to find out who did it, so you don't really know who gets in trouble for that. But if one guy is just loudly passing gas over and over again, and it smells like shit on top of it, as most farts do, then, I don't know, man. I'm in favor of this. I'm in pay favor of turning the damn plane around. If uh, if it's that obnoxiously loud, but more importantly, that obnoxiously smelly. Let's get the details of this story. And by the way, silver lining for us here in Austin, it was a flight headed to Austin, but ends up turning around and going back to Phoenix, Arizona via a Reddit post. Quote, before most people had boarded, I observed that this man was audibly disgruntled about something, maybe hung over, rough day, I don't know. But as soon as he sat down, he was grumbling about something under his breath like fucking hell or something. After a majority of the passengers had boarded, the man reportedly exclaimed, you thought that was rude. Well, how about this smell? And proceeded to pass gas. I don't know what provoked that comment. And while kind of funny to overhear, it was uncalled for, especially coming from a grown man on an airplane nonetheless. 
but the excessively farting passengers' gross behavior didn't end there. The man who just purposefully farted moments ago decides to loudly and condescendingly say, yeah, everybody, let's just eat the smelliest food possible all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) A guy in the row over replied, if you don't like it, you can fly private, to which fart man says, that's so fucking rude. And another person nearby chimes in. I think we'd all agree that you're the rude one here. <laughs> Sounds mm. like such a fucking social interaction in 2024, doesn't it? It does. At one point, flight attendants intervened and told the transgressor that's enough. The plane was taxiing to the runway, but came to a stop. So it didn't actually make it into the skies. My apologies on that piece of misinfo there. An announcement comes over saying apologies for the interruption, but we are returning to the gate. We will give you more info when we have it. We get back to the gate and a flight attendant comes back and informs Fartman that he will not be staying on this flight. He simply replies, I don't understand. And she tells him that they'll talk about it off the plane. The man grabbed his bags in a huff and got off the plane. We all breathed a sigh of relief when he was removed. I think most people were on edge about what he may say or do next. The trip was only delayed by 15 to 30 minutes. So I think in all... American handled things pretty swiftly. So this is actually a air travel story that isn't nearly as horrific as many of those that we've reported on in the last two to three months now. Yeah, there's a lot to get into and a lot of different angles to really attack this story. Um, Number one, like as disgusting as it is for this guy, pretty impressive to be able to just fart that much basically on command without shitting himself. Yeah, it would have gotten an appearance on the Howard Stern show back in the 1990s. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 well done right there. Like, to have the ability to pass that much gas without anything coming out, that's impressive because it's, it's hard to do. It's not something people should be trying to do, but it's not that easy to do that on command and have them be that loud and that smelly over and over again, right? Uh, I don't know. How weak is your sphincter? I can fart for a long while before I'm on the verge of shitting myself. Like loud? Sometimes. Sometimes. Man. Depends on what I've eaten. Yeah. I guess this guy could have eaten some T-Bell at the airport or something right before boarding the flight. I don't know. Now, that's something that may work its way right through. You can't trust farts after eating the T-Bell. Well, exactly. How do you know exactly what to eat to... Make sure you're passing gas and ripping ass, but not, you know. Okay, I see where you're coming from with this. You're coming from this uh, with the knowledge of what Taco Bell does to a person and food like that, since that's most of what you consume. I'm coming at it from more of a health food perspective where I do have the ability to not shit myself if I fart repeatedly over the course of like 5 to 10 to 15 mm. minutes. This is like a Go ahead. Sometimes it goes on for hours on end before I end up pooping. Sometimes I wish I could poop, which maybe speaks to a, a lack of health on the other side. Yeah, get you some Olipop. That'll help out with that. Um, sorry to your lovely wife, too, for what you just said. That sucks. Oh, she would appreciate that apology because, unfortunately for her, her and my kids do have to deal with it. Both kids, but especially one of them, not going to throw her under the bus really takes after me in that regard. There's only one her of the two kids that you have, so. Oops. <laughs> uh, also, didn't this feel like a pre-planned attack? Like, that's also impressive. Like, this guy was 
I don't know what he was mumbling under his breath, but it was almost like he was hoping someone was going to piss him off so we could start doing this. Like, uh, yeah, there, there's a disgruntlement there from the get go. And like, he's, he's just being belligerent and people call him out. And so when you do that to somebody, oftentimes it's like they double down on their own stupidity or their own fucked upness, which is, I believe, an official word in Webster's Dictionary as of last year. Mm -hmm. This guy is clearly in that category. How many times have you given like a honk to someone who's like clearly staring at their phone at the front of a line waiting for a red light to turn green and the response is to give you the finger in return. It's like, hey, motherfucker, I'm trying to tell you to wake up here. Yeah, You're not going to give a courtesy wave, oh, my bad, which by the way, I've done that before and I give the courtesy wave, like, sorry about that. Thank you for the quick honk. Your response is to bang the finger at me yeah that bit so bucky said this morning that he was pissed that the flight turned around he's calling they people were mid-air. I, I thought that they were midair if they were midair i would be pissed about this yeah the 15 to 30 minute delay is not great but you can actually make that up midair and by make it up i mean them actually arriving at the estimated time of arrival versus the the eta that is listed where they know it typically gets you in 10 to 15 minutes ahead of time. The fact that it was still on the ground, that they were taxiing and and brought him pretty quickly and and took care of this problem swiftly. I think I would be okay with that if I were a customer, because otherwise this asshole is going to carry on for the entirety of the flight. You and I have flown to Phoenix before from Austin. What is that? Like a two to three hour flight. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be really annoying to have to deal with for two to three hours. Yeah, I mean, if if the guy was sitting close to me, I'd be okay with making an emergency landing. Like, I'm with you. It's a no-brainer. When you haven't even left yet, you kick this guy off the flight because he's being a huge jabroni, and there's just no need to deal with that. But, man, if I'm sitting in the same row as that guy, I want him off the plane, and I'm willing to add, like, an hour to my time to get rid of that because there's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you could go to avoid that smell. You can't crack a window uh, if it's a full flight, you can't send the guy anywhere else. Like you're just stuck there and it's a biohazard, man. I'm not dealing with that. So this only really applies to Southwest because most other airlines do have assigned seating at this point. But let's say you're getting onto a flight and you realize that you've got the bubble guts and you're not necessarily going to shit yourself, but you're like, oh, this is going to be a long flight where there's just going to be way too much pressure building up throughout the course of these two to three hours. There is one obvious solution to help out here that allows you to not have to strain and suffer for the entirety of that flight. What is that one solution if you're boarding a Southwest flight? Oh, man. Sit right by the bathroom? Okay, I guess that's the courteous thing to do. Or you could just sit next to a really old or really young person and just pin it on them the entire time. (laughs) Everybody's going to assume it's them and they're going to be way too embarrassed because they realize whoever smelt it dealt it to try and call anybody else out as being the actual perpetrator there. That's a good one. Or just sit next to like a parent with a baby. Yeah. So it's like, this is, this is me punishing you for punishing me. You know, this is turnabout is fair play. You're being an a-hole by bringing your baby. Hey, grandma can come here. Okay. You don't need to be flying three month old baby on the freaking flight. All right. Like, don't put us through that. Otherwise, I'm going to put you through hell, too, because that's what you're doing. That's right. Really old or really young. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, I've never been in that situation before, but it 
dude, I, I would get on another flight. Like, I don't like public bathrooms. I think you know that. Yeah. And, and, and like the airport, I'm just, I'm not, uh, what's his name? Not Stuart Mandel. He's the college football writer. Howie Mandel, big germaphobe guy. Yes. Like I'm not, I'm not that level over the top, but like, man, public bathrooms and I do not jive at all. Yeah. So if, if it's, if there's even a chance, like I'm going to have to be on there more than once. Once is terrifying. I couldn't tell you the last time I've used an airport airplane bathroom at all, but like more than once, I'm just saying, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll be three to four hours late. I am not getting on this flight right now. I don't even like peeing in airplane no. bathrooms or like, Flying porta pots, essentially, and porta pots disgust me. One of the most disgusting places on the planet, in my opinion. By the way, I'm proud of my kids because they are disgusted by porta pots too. There you There's go. A reason why I know the best hotel bathrooms in this city. It's just that in case of emergency, break glass moment where you have no choice but to stop. You're not going to be able to make it back home, so you got to know where to go. And hotels tend to have people on staff who are regularly cleaning rooms, but also bathrooms too. It's why you walk into that hotel like you own the place or at least are renting a room there and find that first floor bathroom. You're usually going to be okay. Hmm. One of the yeah. worst moments of the last year for me is a bit of an IBS flare-up, I guess you could call it, when we were driving home from downtown and we were on 183 and there was no way I was going to make it. It was either shit myself with my family in the car or pull over at, is it a Papacitos or Papados? It's on 183 between Mopac and uh, Cedar Park. I think it's a Papados. Stopped at that Papados. Had to find the bathroom in the very back. It was like a Friday or Saturday night, so the place was bumping. Just went into that bathroom. It was horrific. I had to cover it with like, 12 layers of toilet paper on each side of the seat and just do my business. Uh, Very shameful moment, full <laughs> moment for me having to do that in Papa Do's. And unfortunate for anybody else who had to go into that bathroom for the 20 to 30 to 45 minutes that followed. Oh, God. All right. A couple of texts before we bring on Chip and Zay. Uh, code to text line 512 222 9328. A 915 number says, BK, I'm glad I'm not the only one that hates public restrooms. I despise them. I refuse to go in them unless it's absolutely necessary, and even that's cutting it. Someone else says, I love to pee in them. I think talking about the airplane bathroom, especially when there's turbulence. Normal peeing is just boring. This is like pissing Olympics. <laughs> pissing Olympics in the uh, laboratory. Or you can just try and pee so hard that you get that flap that's at the bottom of the airplane uh, toilet to push all the way in. That's another game you can play minus the turbulence. You're not getting urine all over the freaking bathroom. Ew. That's gross. Is that a thing that people do? I don't know if I want to know the answer to that. It's a better game than what this person is suggesting. And by the way... DJ, that's disgusting. You'll shit in a trash can in a tent city. You're going to light your ass on fire because all those trash cans have fires in them. So good luck, DJ. Mm. Oh, man. Y'all's, uh, y'all's thoughts on the airplane bathroom, gentlemen? Why? Why do you do why this does, to us? Why do they have airplane bathrooms? Well, in case no, you have to why go. do you ask us to get involved? I wasn't going to ask you this time, Chip, I promise. See? Now we got BK stirring it up. Uh, 
I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about germs from you, considering you haven't done laundry in eight months. Oh my God. <laughs> he's wearing it. Again. He's wearing, oh, <laughs> after the show, he just puts it in his chair and then waits for the next day, and then he just comes back to it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the collective hours equals like three or four days at this point, though. <laughs> hey, if you're not careful, I'm gonna start playing some lose yourself for you. <laughs> no. Well, I'll get hey. a pick off of you two, but maybe it'll be worth it for a day. Oh, yeah. I mean, we respect it. I know it's been a long time. I know you've been a diehard Lions fan forever, so I'm I'm happy for you, man. It's I'd be doing the same thing if uh if the Cowboys were in this spot, but we all know that'll never happen again. So I know I know this isn't breaking news, but the pregame deal that Eminem did before the wild card rounds, he's lost it, man. Oh, what? A while back, Eminem is fucking soft now. Well, he's look, not he's, on the hard drugs. He's literally had albums called like Relapse and Recover. Like yeah. that was a really dark time after the first three albums around 2002, 2003. That's when he really lost it. Yeah. And then he had to take a step away from everything and he came back sober and you're out here calling him soft for being a better man. What's I'm, wrong with you? I'm happy. I'm happy for him for being a better, better man, but get out of the public eye now, Eminem. You're, you're, you're done with mm. us. Yeah. Get back <laughs> off the wagon, Eminem. Make better music. As soon as you're dealing with the hardcore issues, you're going to get us kicked off YouTube. What are you doing? How about you rap out the lyrics instead? Hey, just a touch. And Trey, uh, what are you talking? What's this us stuff? You mean white people? What do you uh, say? You said no, us, the general music consuming public. Okay, just making sure. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm white. I'm Armenian. We've gone over this before, Zay. I are you sure I can't just keep playing lose yourself, <laughs> so that everybody can just uh, appreciate the words in that song that Eminem wrote about him having to nail the rap off is one opportunity, one <laughs> shot. Come on, man. Mm. That's how the lions are looking at this NFC championship game. Oh man. They got one yeah. opportunity. What, what is that accent? <laughs> Tom's sweaty. That's the rope on his sweater. Mom's spaghetti. That's what the white boys sound like in Detroit. Eight mile. <laughs> that's, that's how that's how Eminem says it. One uh, opportunity. All right. Uh, today's gonna be a great show. Y'all are awesome. All right, fellas. Y'all uh we'll let y'all get to it. Y'all have a great one. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Appreciate it.